Welcome to Loaded and Rolling. I'm your host, Thomas Watson. Now, I hope everyone has made it past the Super Bowl. I know I'm dating this podcast, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's February. We're all trying to pick up the pieces from the end of January. A lot of stuff going on, but... One of the things that we need to be keeping an eye on is recent moves, uh, not only by the FMCSA, but other organizations, including the EPA, and what this means for trucking. Uh, it is a huge topic, a slow-moving topic, so you know it's not like we're suddenly going to see some changes, but it's on the horizon, and it's something that could have a big impact. So let's bring in our first guest, welcoming Stephen Ritzler, team lead of trucking and logistics at CoverWallet. If you don't know who CoverWallet is, they identify insurance you need for your specific business, and they know a thing or two about stuff coming across the wire. Stephen, pleasure to get to talk to you again. Uh, you know, a lot of, lot of moving parts. For folks who are unfamiliar, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Thank you, Tom. Uh, sorry, I think there might have been a moment of a delay there. Really grateful to have the opportunity to come back on the show and speak with you and to your audience. So at Cover Wallet, what we do is we help folks that are in the process of purchasing or uh, re-upping their commercial truck insurance. We help them review against their real exposures to make sure they've got the right solutions to cover the risks. And I think, uh, you know, diving into that, the insurance aspect is important. Before we dive into some recent moves by the FMCSA, uh, I think one of the big ones to look at is the impact of insurance and especially looking in terms of FMCSA rulemaking. So catching us back up since the last time we talked, have there been any, at least in the insurance spaces, any big changes for commercial trucking or anything that's coming across the wire before we dive into the regulatory component? See if we got him. Okay, let's see if we got him coming in now. Um, let me see if you can hear me now, Stephen. We'll get them back in. All right. Insurance is an important one, though, because I think especially with recent moves of the FMCSA, uh, this is something to look through the lens of both large carriers and small carriers. And so when we're talking about it, things like automatic emergency braking systems or AEBS, that's one aspect to be keeping an eye on. But even other things like greenhouse emissions and the very nature of how uh, the Class 8 trucks are made. So, you know, when we're examining these things, uh, who does it often benefit? Large carriers typically will support uh, the the uh, additional regulatory requirements because, one, not only their insurance situation, they can be a combination of either self-insured or they're having to have higher payouts. You know, you have more trucks, more accidents, more accidents, more claims. But, two, economies of scale. So why would you want to have uh, additional uh, MPG ratings, you know, why would you want to have a, a, a class eight that can go from six and a half miles per gallon to up to 10 miles per gallon? You know, this is something smaller carriers like, but for large carriers, it's one thing to have five trucks in your fleet and have, you know, quite a bit of fuel efficiency. But when you multiply that up to 5,000 trucks, that's when we start to see it. The second one is interesting. Automatic emergency braking systems or AEBSs, you know, these are impacting newer builds. Large fleets typically update their equipment. Uh, it's part of a cycle. So every, you know, you're going to think every three years, you're going to update that truck that you bought three or four years ago, not only for amortization and aging, but in order to keep uh, your, your fleet equipment average age lower. Not 
only for a recruiting standpoint, but for efficiency, so fuel efficiency. So this is interesting because, you know, CARB and EPA rules, we're going all over, over this all before we bring in Steven and get his thoughts on that as well. But that's going to be one of the big things to watch because smaller fleets and owner operators are going to obviously argue that having not only automated braking and EPA rules and additional stringent requirements is going to make it harder to do business. And trucking is typically a low barrier to entry of business. But for the larger fleets, it's the exact inverse, which is we have a, a larger cadre of younger drivers that are, you know, they're typically coming out of CDL school and having these things, these additional things like the lane change, braking systems, lane control, uh, even the forms of uh, automation. You know, there's like the level two automation that helps with like an uh, intelligent lane. I think Plus AI uh, spoke with them about it. But, you know, these are going to be things that large fleets are going to want. Now, if you're an owner operator and you know how to drive and you don't, you know, have been doing this for 20 years, obviously, why would you be concerned about some of this technology? You're going to think of it more as a hindrance. So it's always important, especially in context as we're diving through these topics, uh, FMCSA rulemaking, EPA changes, etc. It's important to identify uh, you know, who, who's on what side and who does it benefit? Because it's really easy to get on a situation where you're strictly for owner operators or strictly for large carriers. And we see that kind of like the dueling banjos between the ATA and OIDA. But I think we got Steven back in. Let's dive in. Uh, the, the big thing is changes in insurance. Uh, you know, we spoke a while ago about the current landscape and just playing catch up right now. Uh, has there been any notable changes uh, in terms of insurance or are we still kind of in a situation moving into 24 that uh, things are relatively stable in terms of costs, premiums, states that are acting out, anything like that? It's a little early yet to say if we've had uh, any noticeable changes. Frankly, I, I haven't seen any dramatic rise in premiums. There is a tail end of folks that are newer to the industry who are learning through the process of losses, what safety control really means for them and for the cost of their insurance. But I haven't seen on a broader scale uh, any real trend there. What I can say, Tom, is that a rising tide raises all ships and higher levels of visibility into uh, complaints for one thing that may lead to poor safety is certainly going to help everyone to run a tighter ship. And uh, I wonder if this, especially complaints, are we talking like complaints to the insurance themselves, to the FMCSA? Is that where people are more willing to call out bad behavior now and they have the tools to do it? Yes, exactly. To FMCSA in particular. And it would seem that people are more willing to do that when they know how to. That was fascinating. I know there was a talk a few months ago of broker transparency, and one of the issues was uh, making sure there was a complaint process. One of the things I read said that it was much easier to complain on the bus companies than it was for the trucking companies and to even pull up the data. So it was almost like uh, if you were riding in your tour bus, it, you felt like you as a consumer better uh, compared to these motor carriers. Really? And think of the benefit for the motor carriers themselves too, right? Like... Uh... I read once the founder of Instapot would read every review. I think the feedback you can get on how the public's really responding to your service is the most important part about how to offer better service. And if you're not putting yourself in a position to encounter that feedback, how could you possibly learn from it, right? 
Exactly. And one of the big things of learning is figuring out what the heck is going on with the FMCSA. So upcoming rulemaking, there's a whole lot of them. So let's just talk about what sticks out to you. What's across your radar? Being in the insurance background, some of these rules can have big ripples. Uh, what is on, uh, what's on top of mind right now as we're moving into the new year and waiting to see what gets released, what gets reviewed, or it's proposed? Sure. So one topic that in- interests me is this this rule, this mandate being handed down about automated braking systems. You've, you've covered a bit of that already on the show, haven't you? Yeah, that's what was. Uh, that's what's fascinating because it seems like not only are these AEB systems being installed already in newer vehicles, but the question I'm and this is how I'm interpreting it is whether or not everybody has to abide by it or eventually get one or have a reason for not having one. If I understand it correctly, yeah. And- Going based on trend, it would seem that there will be some time frame in the future where it's all new vehicles or all new entrants are required. But what I can say is historically, from an insurance perspective, there have been benefits made available to businesses that have certain safety features on their vehicles. You know, there's safety discounts available for keying your telematics device into your insurance provider. And I would imagine you're going to see similar benefits made available for the folks that are able to incorporate this newer safety technology and adopt it more quickly. Is that similar to how, because I mean, I've got uh, auto insurance for my car. I don't, I don't drive a, you know, any uh, commercial motor vehicle, but they offer it where they say, if you stay within the speed limits over a certain amount of time, you can save X amount, but you know, it goes down as you don't follow the rules. Is that what they're thinking with uh, trucking as well? Or is it something where if you just link up, we give you a bulk discount? That's a great question, Tom. I think it is a sword that cuts both ways, right? They're looking for harsh braking. They're looking for patterns of acceleration and deceleration. To a degree, they may even be able to see, uh, you know, point A to point B if you could have made it there by doing the speed limit, right? So there will certainly be room for contemplation upon renewal when they look at all of the data. But I think from a visibility standpoint, it's just better to have it as a safety manager, to have milestones and a frame of reference about what appropriate driving habits look like and to be able to manage to that as a tremendous benefit. And before we go into habits, uh, you had a great point at renewal and uh, renewing it every year. Is there a specific year in your experience or time of year that everyone renews them? Or I'm assuming once you just start your company, you buy the insurance, the clock starts from there. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, In terms of time of year, I see winter through the spring as being fairly constant. Uh, The end of the year, like December, is a little bit slower for any business. But uh, more than anything, it's when people are just getting into the business, whatever month that happens to be for them. And I'm sorry, I'm forgetting part of your question here, Tom. Oh, no, you're fine. You're fine. I was curious because I have a theory that, uh, especially with my experience with my managed drivers, they would just quit in the wintertime and they say, well, Thomas, I don't like driving in the snow. Uh, you know, it's December. 
I'm going to go and I'm going to come back in like April or March. So my theory was maybe we would just see this rise because drivers are like, okay, well, I'm just going to work three quarters of the year. and It's time to get my insurance renewed. I just don't want to pay for it for that one quarter. I wonder if there was a little strategizing or gamemanship uh, with these smaller carriers like that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Especially if it's like a non-trucking liability policy, like a bobtail policy. Those people are exactly what you said. Uh, quite often they want to work for the part of the year that benefits them and they want to be able to have the freedom to park their truck for the time that doesn't. And so that could very much mean, you know, they're purchasing that coverage in the spring and they're only carrying it through the fall. Uh, the other part I wanted to address, you mentioned, is there a certain year uh, that you're going to see more of that? And I did just want to point out most new to the industry uh, insurance policies are going to be very different in terms of eligibility than what you can get your third year because you're considered a new venture by most insurance carriers your first three years running. And that's going to mean that you're not eligible for certain programs that might have better rates and coverages that you couldn't access your first three years running. And uh, it's a fascinating thought because it's almost like this form of Darwinism where you get better access the longer you've been around. So you're just trying to beat the average uh, for a motor carrier. What are some of the things for folks unfamiliar? I'm, I'm definitely, I'm curious, what are some of the perks I get for uh, coming up on that three-year mark that may help out compared to, you know, if I just got a rig and I'm at year one and a half? Uh, it's, I mean, more options, right? You're going to have more insurance carriers that see you as an established business. When they think about, when we think about what makes up an insurance premium, it's an insurance carrier's attempt to put a number on what kind of risk your business represents. And your risk of non-payment is just much lower when you have a three-year track record. So you'll have access to more programs that are more exclusive, and you'll be joined by the company of more thoroughly vetted businesses that have a stronger track record for safety. So what that really translates to are lower insurance premiums. Because you're in a better bucket, too, is what I'm assuming. Well, you know, I'm, it reminds me of recruiting drivers as well. Some carriers only target experienced drivers after a year, two, three, four years of service. And I'm assuming the same thing is on the insurance thing. You just have some that specialize in that Wild West, high risk, high reward, and then others that are like, well, I just want these that have stuck around. Is that also by size as well as tenure? Absolutely. Yeah, there's some players that won't touch accounts that are less than 10 power units. And and those can be really appetizing programs too from a cost perspective and from a claims response perspective. But yeah, uh, for the most part, every carrier wants to see drivers with three years of experience, no losses, no claims, no tickets, and even better if they're licensed in the state where the business is domiciled. And I have a little bit of a far out question before we dive into the EPA. Uh, some are like under five, some under 10, 5,000 trucks. Can I get a policy for over 5,000 trucks? Oh, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. You can. 
Because I, I remember when I was at U.S. Express, I said, well, we're also self-insured. And I thought, well, that'd be a horrible thing. I'm going to pay out of my own pocket. And you see it on earnings reports. But I always wondered if like you could have uh, either a portion. That's what someone had told me that maybe you can't get like fully insured. You got to pony up some or there's a certain bracket where you get it. But I think this is a fascinating thing because I would imagine that if I'm trying to sell you insurance, you have 5000 so I can charge you a lot of money. But also that means statistically, I may have to pay out a lot of money. Yeah, that's certainly true. Now, I'll I'll be the first to admit, Tom, that would be outside of my depth for fleet size. But I would imagine that if you were to work with a broker such as Aon, that we would be interested and capable of helping you even with the self-insurance aspect of it, if you wanted to be your own captive. Hunting whales. That's the Herman Melville reference hunting the whales that's a whale of a carrier let's dive into speaking of whales we got a whale of an emissions thing greenhouse emissions in the epa uh looking at oems to increase the number of zero emission trucks sold that's one thing uh tougher emissions requirements uh starting in 2027 and then uh you know a lot of stuff coming along the pipeline so you know looking at it from an insurance thing overall changes in what insurers look at uh my first question is uh, greenhouse gas emissions, and we've I've talked about scope three and various emissions related things. Is this something that insurers are being nudged to pay more attention to? And is this something carriers may not be aware of that maybe there's going to be a future emissions carrot or stick added into this? Simple answer is yes. Uh, now, I think scale is really important, right? So what we really specialize in at Coverwall are smaller fleets and even non-fleet type risks. So we're talking typically between one and 10 trucks. We represent some 50 plus truck op- operations as well. But as the fleet size grows, so does the relative amount of carbon emissions. And these larger operations with 100 plus vehicles are certainly going to be more brightly shining on the radar for emissions than these smaller, you know, less than 10 truck fleets. Now, from an insurable risk standpoint, I haven't yet been exposed to any claims that were specific to the greenhouse gas emissions of a combustion engine. When we think about environmental consequences in trucking, it's usually more in a a cargo context, right? Like if they were hauling a load of fuel or milk and it were to spill over and that would create an emissions problem. But when we think about newer trucks that meet more stringent emission standards, that would certainly fall in line with the theme of giving a customer an incentive to use more modern technology and giving them a premium discount for it. So I would imagine that would be the shape it would take. I have a milk-related question on that. I've been doing XM radio filling in, and we spoke to a milk hauler, and they had told me that if you spill a bunch of milk, you have to call the EPA because I don't know if you pour milk on fish or something like that, but I wonder from an insurer, have you ever dealt with any milk-related policy uh, claims? Is that something that uh, a real deal thing in, in terms of not crying over spilled milk, but if it happens? No, that's a great question. I'm not particularly across the claim side too often myself. Uh, My encounters with this topic have been more in a classroom setting. But 
it is the quintessential example of if you know your truck insurance or you don't. And milk is a hazardous material commodity because of what it's capable of doing to the environment. It can actually be more costly and complicated to remediate a disaster where you have a tanker full of milk spilled than if it were petroleum fuel. Holy cow. That is the stuff that keeps me up at night. Speaking of other things, uh, looking at the ZPA guidelines uh, for insurance policies, is this something as well that maybe if I want a better policy, especially with these uh, rulemaking beginning in 2027 uh, year models, will that be like if I want to buy an insurance, is that going to be like another box potentially? I know we're hypothesizing, but you know, if you buy these newer trucks, and I'm an insurer, wouldn't that kind of benefit me to give you a cut because uh, a discount? Because I know that even though you're paying more, you may be in a better bucket. Is that kind of something we may be looking at for these smaller fleets moving forward? We may be. And there may be more requirements that come out of the ether from you know the political landscape. So if that should be the shape that it takes, insurance will be here waiting to help you happily meet those requirements. But if not, I imagine... You know, folks will just see benefit from using more modern technology and insurers will reward them for doing it because of their conclusions about the safety that it means for them and the lower claims risk. But aside from that, unless there's uh, an FMCSA mandate handed down about pollution liability, I don't imagine we're going to see a gold rush of folks looking to buy coverage for it. It's almost like they're waiting because if you... You know, as soon as they find a way to find you, then the drivers who are smaller owner ops who don't have the money to just randomly buy it. It's kind of like a hurry up and wait, I'm assuming, compared to large fleets who they have their green, uh, what is it, smart way and all this other stuff that they're already pushing. So they're they're aggressively, proactively doing it. Yeah, definitely. It's It's a little bit easier at scale and you may have more resources that are closer to the legislators if you're part of a mega trucking operation than if you're uh, doing it a little bit more home style. And looking around the industry in general, I know at least in the trucking one in logistics, you have events, manifest freight waves, all these big events where people get together. Is that something that happens in insurance where like auto insurers or trucking insurers, they all get together and just kind of talk about things that they're worried about? Or is that something that is big in the insurance industry? I I don't know if it's very exciting because I don't know if insurers and actuarial people are uh, the most lively in the world. But is that something as well that you know, as you're hearing and reading at least media on the insurance side, uh, you know, are these some things that are popping up or is it mostly in trucking publications? I'm curious if there's some overlap because I don't really, I'm not as well versed in what uh, insurance related information is coming out. Yeah, there's a really great organization called the Motor Carrier Insurance Education Foundation, MCIEF. We just love our acronyms. And MCIEF does have, I believe, two annual conferences. I have not yet had the pleasure of attending one in person, but I did complete their online education program to get my transportation risk specialist designation. And through the course, uh, there were a few webinars where I was joined with the presence of a lot of other professionals in North America who do exactly what I do. And I can tell you there is a lot of conversation in that community around changing topics and it's ongoing. Transportation risk, because I think it's fascinating. Anything you learned or biggest standout in terms of what risk factors are you looking at or what are some of the surprise ones that may be impacting it that you don't know about? 
It really surprised me to learn, and maybe it, it shouldn't have been such a surprise, that general liability insurance can be used to capture a lot of the exposures that a trucker may encounter during loading and unloading. But for that same reason, it can be more difficult to place if you're, for instance, like a household goods mover and you're moving, you know, grandma's priceless piano. That's that's a very difficult risk to do math on and to come to a premium for. That is interesting because you would assume if you're getting loaded and you load and mess up the piano or the piano shifts in transit or you get in an accident and it cracks open the, the thing like a pinata. Uh, then you would have to have like different profiles and different uh, algorithms to figure that out, right? To calculate. Yeah, exactly. And it's what's the piano worth to you, and how can we make that real with math? It's a very different equation than when you're, you know, dealing with a pallet full of Amazon merchandise, and you have the MSRP and then the real cost of goods sold that you can solve for with accounting. It's very difficult when you're talking about how sentimental value plays into the cost of something. That's what I'm interested in, too, because when we're calculating values, uh, freight of all kinds, palletized goods has very strict standards. But, you know, even for things like emissions that we're talking with the EPA and automated emergency braking systems, like what is the statistical likelihood that this does work or doesn't work? I'm assuming those are the big challenges, because is this something where you just need to collect more data? I'm assuming as an insurer, if I had like a fleet that had all AEBS systems, and they got into X amount of crashes and then ones without it, then I would just like take them together and see if that's, if there's a big difference or you have to like, how do you, you know, how do you digest these kind of questions? Big data requires mostly AI to, to learn from. I think that's what we're finding out. And now is a great time to experiment with it. But yeah, I would imagine an AB test is probably the simplest way for a fleet of any size to evaluate the impact of updated safety equipment. Just like you said, you know, maybe put five on the road with it or whatever the cost allows for the pilot and then evaluate after a designated period of time and see if you saw the desired improvement or not. Now, I have another far out question here because I'm curious. This has been on my mind. Uh, electric trucks. If I buy electric ones, or are you hearing about any policy or plans? It's really early, so I wouldn't expect everyone to just have policies for like a, uh, you know, a Nikola truck or something. But is that something where uh, you're hearing any rumblings about? And if so, would that change any of the dynamics, perhaps? That is it's a far definitely out. Doing like something. I... 90 yards downfield here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving it, Tab. I'm loving it. Yeah, man. Uh, so for electric vehicles... There's been some conversations uh, I've been in on uh, at a high level. I can share that there are not thousands of fleets of a thousand out there today in North America. So they're smaller in concentration and they're rarer opportunities, but there's certainly opportunities that insurers are excited to get their hands on. That's what I'm curious. This was my long-term thought. My hot spicy take of the day uh, is that there's an opportunity to get the plans, the first ones to come up with a good policy that covers all your bases. But the challenge is when those puppies catch fire, I had to go through the fireman community one where they found out they're like, we can let it burn for six hours or waste tens of thousands of gallons of water. And so I think there's an interesting thing that no one's thinking about is uh, when they come bust, what will my insurance be? And will I also have to pay extra for the cleanup? That is a great hot and spicy take. 
And to put more jalapeno on it, it's like, what kind of equipment are you going to need to repair it? What kind of timeline are you looking at for parts? What's the supply chain for electric truck parts? How does it differ from your traditional combustion engine? So if you're an insurer who's paying downtime and you're insuring a fleet of electric vehicles, you may be looking at a considerably longer time horizon before that thing's back on the road running the way it was beforehand. That is what I'm telling you. We're Colonel Sanders, uh, 32 herbs and spices spicy because if my theory holds these battery packs, they combust and they combust in units. And based on their burn ratio, the whole frame, everything's melted. It burns extremely well. But the problem is, I'm assuming you're just going to have to replace the whole thing. Like, it's really nice because you can probably drive it through water like those Tesla videos. So maybe that's nice. You don't flood the engine. But I'm also, I'm a little concerned here. I'm excited. I get to talk about it. It's content. But uh, looking ahead, uh, we've got about a minute and a half left here. What are some of the things that as we're moving into the year, I know it's a little early. What are you looking at in terms of, is there anything that we should be aware of or what are you most excited about because uh not only the super bowl just finished but is there any super bowl of insurance or something like that <laughs> oh man there's a few trucking trade shows coming up but uh, i don't know that i could call any of them a super bowl what really excites me this year tom is uh some changes internally so we used to have a model where you wrote an account and then you had an account management partner who helped you manage the business and then renew the account at the end of it. And we're shifting gears to a model where now our agents get to work with their customer through the life of the policy. So I'm really excited to bring that to the market because it means a better customer experience. And that's what we're all in it for. Well, we're looking forward to it. Folks want to learn more, get in touch, find out about Cover Wallet. Best way to find out. You could give us an email at trucking at coverwallet.com or give us a call at 646-759-0049 to speak with one of our licensed professionals. Steven, pleasure having you on as always. We'll be catching up soon. We'll see if in those spicy takes mature and uh, don't, don't spill any more milk or something, but always a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on the show. All right. Great speaking with you, Tom. That's a wrap for this show, but if you're just catching us, this thing's going to be on Apple and Spotify as well as tv.freightwaves.com every Tuesday. Oh, correct camera here. Uh, podcast people don't pay attention to that. <laughs> but we're going to be back next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern for the next episode of Loaded and Rolling. Join us next week. We'll do it live.